And the way that you fix that is with follow-up. And the reason most people don't have any good follow-up is number one, they don't know how to do it in an efficient way. So they think, well, it's a lot of work. It's going to take too much time. And two, they don't know what to say to a prospect. They don't know how to show up and actually be relevant over the long haul. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal of what it takes to start and grow a business fast. It's all about earning the right, where we work hard today so we can reap the reward tomorrow. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. Hey, hey, welcome and happy new year, which probably sounds very strange for you listening right now. But right now, as I sit and record this today, uh, it's the beginning of January. And I'm really excited, not only because we've got a great guest for you today, but also because we've got a great episode where we talk about some really important things to help you move your business on. Now, one of the things I like to do every year is I like to go back at this time and think about how my year went. I like to look back and think, you know, what went well and, and what didn't go so well. And, and am I further ahead? I think that's the most important thing. Am I further ahead than I was last year? Hopefully you were too. So today is very much about thinking about getting ourselves further ahead. And perhaps one of the things that have prevented us from doing that, if that's been the case, and uh, what we can do about it moving forward. So really, we want to ask ourselves how the year has played out for you, what can you learn from it, and what we do differently next year. And today, we're specifically thinking about referral marketing and anything that's going to prevent you from uh, taking your business forward. Now, my guest today to help us talk about this is Steve Gordon. He is the founder of Unstoppable CEO, the premier business growth program for professional service firms. At Unstoppable, Steve helps agency owners develop systems for creating more leads, build a great team, and teaches them how to position themselves as market leaders so they can attract higher fees. Now, Steve is an expert at marketing and sales as it relates to digital agencies and really shares some cool stuff, both in his podcast that he runs, which we'll no doubt have a little bit of a chat about later, but also he's going to be sharing some really cool stuff with us here today. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Clive, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Oh, that's awesome. It's great to have you here. Congratulations on your podcast and everything that you've been doing this year. I know we were just talking before we started the show here. Was 168 episodes, is it so far on your podcast? We're, we're somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, in 160 to 170 right now. Cool. Whilst we're at it, do you want to give a quick plug for your podcast? Yeah, it's the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all the places you'd find a podcast. And um, we're a mix of, of interviews. So I interview entrepreneurs um, who are unstoppable. And we talk about what makes them unstoppable and, and share their expertise. And, uh, and we also mix in some specific advice around marketing and growing your service business and some, some uh, solo episodes that I do. Excellent. Excellent. So Go ahead and add that to your playlist as another great podcast to listen to. Continue to join us here on the Get Real About Business podcast. And as you know, if you've been listening to this up to now, what you know is that we have a particular format where I like to start with a random question. And the point of this question is simply just to get a feel for who you are, Steve, rather than listen to your CV or anything that you've done in the past. I just want to get a feel for you know what's important to you. So... We've just come to the end of, of Christmas. We're just in the new year now. 
So my random question to you, Steve, is what was your guilty pleasure over this Christmas period? <laughs> That's easy. Uh, my, my wife and I just got back from uh, uh, about a week in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, here in the U.S., and, uh, and my guilty pleasure was, was food. We ate, we, we went to, Charleston's got a, a number of really great high-end restaurants. And uh, we just sort of went up and down the, the, the street in downtown Charleston, eating at one place after another, after another, and had great food. And I uh, went to the gym this morning at five o'clock and uh, it's all over now. It's time to, time to get serious and get, get back into shape. There's a point in which you have to start paying for all the indulgence that you do. That's right. That's right. When you play, you pay. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, like you, I ate way too much at Christmas. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the beauty of having a great wife and a mum who's brilliant at cooking. Uh, so we didn't go out to the restaurants, but uh, we did eat far too much at home. <laughs> <laughs> any, any New Year's resolutions for you? No, I, I don't do resolutions so much. Um, I set goals, um, and I do that every quarter, but... Um, I've just, I've never found the, the, the resolution practice to, to really be effective for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm, I'm the same. And I used to set new year's resolutions and like anybody else, now, maybe I should know better as a coach. I know why new resolutions fail, but you know, I still liked the idea of starting off with something new. And, um, I just come to the conclusion, what I want to do each year rather than set a new year's resolution is simply raise the game. Um, and so there's a number of different areas in which I want to raise the game this year, but uh, I'm not really counting it as a resolution. So let's uh, get on and talk about what we were here today. So it was really about like, how do we get further ahead? Let's say at the, this time of the year, what I like to do is to go back and think, where was I last year? And you know, where am I now? And no doubt, my journey this year is probably very similar to anybody else. There's been a lot of ups, but there's also been downs as well. What was that like for you this year? Have you had some ups and downs? I think everybody does. I mean, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, that's one of the things I've learned through, um, you know, the, all the interviews we've done on the podcast is that uh, there isn't anybody that has been at all successful in business or been in the game for very long that, that hasn't had their share of, of uh, ups, but, but even more so their share of challenges and failures along the way. And um yeah, our year our year has been like that. There been there were some challenging moments, and um, but all in all, um, we're we're further ahead uh, at the end of this year than we were at the at the start, and so we're we're going to count it as a success. Yeah, I think that's the that's what we really need to be focused on. As quite often we set ourselves these big goals, and, and really, it's you know I think it's important to set yourself big goals. If you set yourself little goals, um, then you can only succeed in a in a small way. But uh, I think the thing is. Like sometimes we don't hit the things that we want to, but as long as we're further ahead, then then that's good, right? Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in measuring progress, um, and you know, it, it, it's very easy to set these enormous goals. And there, you know, there's this whole school of thought, you know, where you should go big or go home. That's great. Uh, I mean, I I think big goals are are useful and they can be very motivating, um, but when I'm actually kind of taking stock of where I am, I like to look in the rearview mirror and see, okay, well, where did I start a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? And what is the progress and growth actually look, look like? And am I, am I further ahead? At least the way I'm wired, there's always going to be a next goal. There's always going to be some further progress that I want to make. 
So there's never this point where, at least I don't ever anticipate it, where I've arrived, right? There's just the next mile post ahead of you. And so the only way to really be able to kind of take stock is to look back and see, well, how many mile posts have I passed so far? And, um, you know, and am I, am I going in the direction I want? And am I passing them maybe at a quicker pace than I did before? Because I've learned some things over the years. So that, that's kind of how I like to, to measure my progress. And do you make a, a point of sort of tracking what you're doing and, and looking at those, those milestones as you go? Or is it just a case of look back every now and then and, and think? Well, usually once a quarter. I, I like to break things down into to 90 day periods. And it just, maybe because I have kind of a short attention span, uh, you know, looking at it over the whole year or five years or 10 years is too long. I kind of get distracted. Uh, but over the next 90 days, I know I can focus. And so, yes, I, I, we have this, you know, three-year vision of where we want to be. Um, we break that down into, into some things that we want to accomplish over the year. But most importantly, those get broken down into things that we're going to do, projects we're going to do this quarter. And then that gives us some really clear mileposts for, okay, at the end of the quarter, you know, here's where we started. We thought we were going to do these projects. Sometimes you get partway through the quarter and you realize it wasn't quite right, you know, but are we still further along than, you know, where we wanted to be? You know, have we, have we advanced towards the ultimate goal, even if we didn't, you know, do every project that we set out to do? Maybe we decided some of them weren't as important as we got into them. It's really good to hear you say that, actually, because uh, like you, I plan in about a sort of three to four month chunks. And I used to think, well, I've got to have a three, like a like a one year plan, a three year plan, a five year plan, and I just can't see that far ahead. And like certainly, some of the people I work with are much the same. Is that yeah, it's easier to kind of predict in the next few months. Uh, but have you ever been to England, Steve? I have. I've been uh, I've been to London and uh, in the area around London and. Um, and actually just spent a uh, better part of 10 days, about a year and a half ago over in, in Ireland. So I know it's not quite the same. I know England and Ireland, not, not the same, but, yeah. uh, you know, for, for all of us Americans, it's, uh, it's very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of similarities. And, uh, if you went, have you ever been on our underground in London? Yes. Yes. Uh, do you, do you spot the, uh, like the, the underground map that shows you all the different stops? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Very famous image. And according to studies, most people on average will look at that map every 40 seconds while on the underground. Yeah. And I find that fascinating. It seems to me something along the lines of the need for us to kind of feel that we're getting where we want to go, which is a bit ridiculous considering you're on a train track. And you're only going to go one or two ways, aren't you? But, you know, it seems to me in business, we don't necessarily always do that track. Yeah, I, well, I'd never heard that stat before, but it makes complete sense because you're down there, you're on this train, you're probably turned around, and you're. I think you're looking for alignment and confirmation that you're, you know, literally on the right track. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in business, a lot of times when I'm working with a client that is is struggling, maybe to to kind of get momentum. Oftentimes it's because the, A, they're not clear on where they're going. So they're just getting on whatever train happens to be in the station. Yeah. And, and then they're not checking in on a, on a regular basis, uh, you know, with that 
that vision for, for where they're trying to get to and are they on the right track? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very easy for us to lose our way. There's obviously a lot of things that come up. You mainly deal with service-based businesses. Is that right, Steve? Yes. What do you think some of the challenges are for service-based businesses in, in growth, like growing in sort of current market right now? Well, I, I actually think these challenges um, are, are kind of universal. And I think that just having, having done this now for almost 25 years, these challenges actually span time. So I don't think it's, it's something that is, is necessarily endemic of the, the current time we're in. And I think there are really four fundamental challenges that, that we see again and again and again with service-based businesses. Um, and, and that's good news is that there are really four areas. If you focused on these four areas, you'd really be able to, to get the growth that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, and so um, the first, uh, we'll just go through all four. The first is, is that um, so many businesses fail to get clear on their ideal client. And so to use kind of our underground analogy, they walk into a station, but they don't know where they're going. They don't know who they're trying to attract. And, um, and what we found is when we can take a client through a process, take a, a business owner through a process where they're allowed to, to get clear, you know, and they give themselves a permission because most business owners don't do it. They're afraid that if I focus on one type of client, if I, if I niche down, that all of a sudden I'm going to give up all of this other opportunity that is theoretically out there outside of that definition, <clears throat> excuse me. They're afraid that they're giving something up. And the, the truth is when you get that focus, when you finally become clear, what you will have revealed to you. And it literally is like a revelation. It's like somebody takes the, you know, the mask off of your face and you can finally see it as you'll see all kinds of opportunities to connect with the type of people that you just defined that you said, well, these are my ideal clients. And it's, it's just astonishing to watch. We'll take a client through this and they'll go, Oh wait, yeah, I've got this, this, you know, relationship over here with this person who has all of the contacts with these clients that I want. And, Oh yeah, there's this organization over here that I could join that I've never been to before that that's where they all hang out. You know, so that all of a sudden they see all of these doors open to them that were there before they were just blind to it. That's really interesting. You say that because what do I think about, my journey and when I was thinking about who I wanted to work with and what service I'd provide is there was a couple of things that were kind of driving things mostly for me. Um, well, one was excitement, excitement about the fact that there could be so many different things I, I could do. And I didn't want to close the doors on anything because I thought, well, there's money there. There's opportunity. And maybe what's at the heart of entrepreneurship is recognizing opportunity and seeking it and, and taking hold of it. But what I didn't really realize is that actually the biggest driver of them all, as you said there, Steve, was fear. Fear that if I closed some doors on some things, then I would miss out. And sometimes you see an opportunity, and I, I mentioned this in the podcast before, uh, so I won't go into detail, but somebody asked me early on, my business was originally corporate coaching and training. They asked, did I deliver first aid training? And I used to many, many, many years ago. And, uh, and they said, oh, well, you're going to clear up. <laughs> So I went out and I said, yeah, like, I'll deliver it. I went out, requalified, spent thousands of pounds on equipment, um, only to find out this was not going to be a profitable route for me to take my business. So I think that it's very easy to make mistakes there, but it's all fear-based. 
Yeah, I think that's a huge, uh, I think that's a huge part of it. I think there's, there's two components, really. There's, there's fear that, and, and this particularly, I think, happens at the beginning um, when you're, you're starting a new business. You don't necessarily know where the market is sometimes, and you don't know what, you know, what they're going to respond to and what they're going to buy or who might be that ideal client. Um, you know, and I, I learned this when I started um, our, our current firm. Uh, it's my second business and, um, and in a totally new market. Um, it took us a couple of years to sort of figure out what we were going to do when we grew up and who we were going to serve. And then once we did, then we narrowed. And so what I see a lot of times is, you know, you see business owners who will start and they'll go through that kind of startup phase and they'll be trying a lot of different things. It almost becomes addictive. Like they're afraid to give up any of those things. So anytime money shows up, even if it's not a great fit or if it's not profitable, uh, just because it's there, they'll want to take it so that they, you know, they kind of tamp down that, that fear monkey that's on their back. Um, you know, and, and the businesses that I, I have observed in our, in our clients that are really successful, they kind of, in, in the thinking of the owner, they grow beyond that. So they go, okay, well, yeah, there was this period of time at the beginning where I kind of had to do everything for everybody. And then we sort of figured things out. And now I'm really focused on doing this for this group of people. And when they, when they can make that shift, things really accelerate. And everything in the business, frankly, becomes simpler. Your messaging becomes simpler because you're talking to one specific type of person, generally about one specific kind of result that you're going to deliver for them. Um, you know, your, your marketing becomes easier because you don't have to market everywhere to everyone. You can market in a few places and just to the right people. So, I mean, it just, and, and your service delivery becomes easier too, because you're not continually trying to do something new. And that's the death of, of profitability in most service businesses. Sure. Sure. So you're saying like the, the first of the four areas that challenge us is around getting a clear idea about who the client is. Yeah. We hear people talk all the time about your know, ideal client avatar and things like that. And I got it when I set out that like, yeah, I need to find my ideal client avatar. But then like, it comes to that question that you said a moment ago, which was like, you've got to find out where the market is. How do you know where the market is? Well, I think most people start their business with an idea, you know, and they, they have a sense of, well, here's what I want to offer and here's who I think will benefit from it. Or maybe they start with here's who has a, excuse me, here's who has a need and, and here's what we're going to offer to fulfill that need. So they generally start with, you know, some idea. And, and I, I think that's especially true in service businesses because most people come into a service business with some kind of a technical background. They have some experience delivering the service that they're selling. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that gives them a, a, a general focus. And I like to think of it like a dartboard, you know, you're playing darts and you know, you, you start off and maybe you're only hitting the outside of the board. Hopefully you're hitting the board, right. And maybe only the outside of the board, but as you, you, um, you know, continue to throw and refine that aim, you're sort of getting closer and closer and closer to that bullseye. And so it's, I think it's an evolutionary process that, that you go through. I mean, we're, I, I don't think ideal client focus, which is the, the term we use for it is something that you ever get to and stop. I, I think it's, it's continually 
a, a process of refinement. I mean, we go through that in, in our own business. So, you know, when we first started out, we would work, you know, first with any business and then with any service business, then with uh, any professional service business, just, you know, somebody that got paid for kind of their knowledge. And it's, it's narrowed and narrowed and narrowed down to two groups that we serve now. Sure, sure. And I find it interesting that in the coaching and training industry where I'm at, I've, and I went through the same thing myself, I've never found anybody who set out to, to be in one particular market or niche and three years later still be serving that exact same audience. Um, you know, for me, I moved from corporates to small business, but, you know, sometimes the shift is more subtle, but I think you're right. It takes a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I often say to people nowadays is that, you know, hey, if you really can't be sure right now, if you, you know, really torn, then maybe it's about just getting behind something for the moment and just like get, you know, really get behind it, commit to it for a period of time and see where it takes you. And then, of course, you can change later. But if you, you don't commit to anything, you're all over the place. Absolutely. Well, and, and we tell our, our clients, look, we're only asking you to choose a single type of ideal client right now. Yeah. Most businesses end up with two or three. I'm small business. You can handle two or three types of ideal clients, probably not too many more than that, because yeah. it gets complicated to, to market to more than that number of, of you know, different groups. But, um, but you need to pick one now. And you need to build all of your systems around that one and, um, and focus your marketing around that one, even if you're still taking business in other areas. Um, you, know, it's, you, you don't have to all of a sudden turn away every other piece of business. If it's coming to you and you still want to take it, well, it's a business decision. You, know, you can choose to take it today and three months from now, you can say, well, no, I've got more of my ideal clients and I don't need to take anybody that, that isn't ideal any longer. Um, you know, so it's, you know, you, you need to approach it, I think, with some pragmatism. Yeah, yeah. For our listeners right now, as you listen to this, maybe it's time to ask yourself how clear you are on your ideal client. Has it changed over the last few years? Uh, I'd love to know. Do come back and share your thoughts on that. But uh, do think, how clear am I on my ideal client? And this was the first of the challenges that you, you yeah. And so and I know we spent a lot of time on that. We'll, we'll speed it up as we go through the other, but the second is, is I think really important. Once you're clear on who your ideal client is, you've got to work to simplify your referral process and systematize your referral process. Uh, most service-based businesses get the vast majority of their new leads from referral. And all of the statistics that I've ever read, prove it out somewhere, you know, between 60 and 70% of new business comes from referral. Um, I think in service-based businesses, it's higher than that. I think it's generally around 80%. And if you look at the surveys that have been done of business owners when they're asked, well, do you do anything? You know, do you have any systems in place? Do you have any processes to stimulate those referrals? About 80% say no. Yeah. We don't have anything. You know, we just kind of, we do a good job and we hope that we get referred. And we, we actually surveyed, I wrote a book called Unstoppable Referrals in 2014. And um, before I wrote the book, we surveyed about a thousand business owners. The number one frustration around referrals was people were just uncomfortable asking. Uh, the number two frustration was that, you know, the, the way they expressed it was, you know, something along the lines of, I do really great work and I I'm really frustrated that my clients aren't referring me more. All they do is tell me how great I am, but they never send any, any new clients. And 
you know, the, that's not the client's fault. You know, um, we like to rely on them when it comes to referrals as, as our sales force. But the problem is they're an unpaid and untrained sales force. We're asking them to do the most difficult job in any business, which is to prospect and get someone into a sales conversation. And it's, that's not what they do every day. It's hard for you as the business owner, right? That's what you probably spend most of your time thinking about and agonizing over and laying awake at, you know, in the middle of the night trying to figure out is how do I get people into sales conversations? And to think that our clients and our networking partners are going to be able to do that effectively for us, I think is, um, you know, it, to me, it's a little foolish. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, um, you know, the, the way to overcome that is to begin to take responsibility for those referrals and say, okay, well, if this is a really difficult job, for my client, how do I simplify it for them so that they can do the one thing I really need them to do, which is help me identify who's like them that they know, who is enough like them that they might be a client. And, uh, and, and our method for doing that, which I wrote about in, in the book is, uh, you know, is really to use information as a tool, as a lever to remove all of the risk from the referrals. The big problem with the way we mostly, you know, most of us approach referrals is that, you know, we'll go to our client and I'll, you know, if you're my client, Clive, I'll say, Hey, Clive, who do you know that, that, uh, you know, need some help with their marketing this week? Do you know anybody? Can we, you know, can you think of anybody? And you'll sit there and go, Oh my goodness, he's asking me for a referral and no one come to mind. Cause I've asked you in a really general way. And then if somebody does come to mind, now you've got to do this really complex financial calculation, because you might think of one of your clients right now who owns a service-based business who might need help with marketing. And then you got to go, man, they've been a client with me for like five years. Well, that means they're worth, I don't know what you charge, but let's just say, oh, they're worth $50,000 to me. You know, if I refer them, I might be putting that future $50,000 that they might renew and continue to be my client. I might be putting that at risk. You know, if Steve messes up at all, even if it's not even his fault, I've put that relationship at risk. And what's my upside? You know, if you refer me, what's, what's your upside? Well, I might send you a nice thank you note. I might send you a basket, you know, of fruit for, you know, for the family. Um, maybe there's a referral fee involved, but it's probably not enough to make a difference and certainly nothing compared to what you would charge a client it's not worth it. It's all downside for you. It's all risk. And so if, if we really want to unlock referrals, we've got to take the risk out of it and we've got to make the act of referring easier. So the second piece of that is we're asking our, our clients to essentially go and sell someone on having a sales meeting with us. Cause I mean, that's what, you know, when you meet with a prospect who's referred, that's what we call it. It's a sales meeting. Everybody knows it's a sales meeting. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know about you, Clive. I don't like going to sales meetings and I sell for a living. I don't like going to sales meetings unless I'm selling. If I'm the one doing the selling, it's great. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't want to be there unless I really want to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. People so, are but they don't like to be sold to. Exactly. And to get your client to go and, and uh, convince someone to have that meeting, that's asking a lot of them. So our approach is a little bit different. So we, um, we began in 2012 using um, information as kind of a, a lever point 
to generate referrals. And the way we do that is we take the information that you might share with a prospect during the sales process. So if you think about the problem that your prospect has, and you know, that's the, that's the thing that's going through their head at the moment, right? They're wandering around going, I have all these problems that I need to solve right now in 2020, all of the, the goals that they have set are really an expression of there's this current condition that I have that I want to change. That's a problem. Okay. And they've got some problem that you want to solve. So you start, you know, by sharing information about that problem, you share some information about the solution. Maybe you share some information about the consequences of the problem. So if it's left, you know, alone and and not dealt with, things could get really bad. There could be these consequences that you're not aware of that you don't know about. And, um, you know, and maybe in that process, you answer the questions that, that typically come up from a prospect. Maybe you answer some of the questions that they ought to be asking that they don't normally think of. And at the end of all of that, you've got this great little piece of information that would be really valuable to your ideal client. You know, someone who's walking around worried about that problem, if they got this report or they got this short book or if they attended a webinar that laid all of this out for them, that'd be really valuable for that potential client. Well, now you can go to your clients and you can say, look, Clive, I'm, I'm really passionate about changing the way. So in our case, I would come to you and I'd say, I'm really passionate about um, really completely transforming the way that, that service-based businesses generate new clients from referral. I think they're doing it completely wrong. And I'm on a mission. My, my life's work is to transform the way that they do this. And I've written a book outlining a new way that they can approach it. And, and so Clive, I was wondering, could we sit down and brainstorm a few people that you might know that would really benefit from getting a copy of the book? I'd like to send it to them as a gift from you. Would you be open to doing that? Wow. Okay. That's, that's much better, isn't it? I'm, I've heard this thing all the time about like, who do you know that's like you? It's, um, you know, it was ingrained in us when we used to go networking. You know, who do you know that's like you? Um, and yeah, it makes sense because people hang around like them. And if you enjoy that client, then you might enjoy the next client. But you know it's asking for referral. And the problem is, is as you said at the start, it's not because people don't like you or appreciate you. It's the fact that it's hard work. And it's the fact that they're going to have to take a risk on it. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you make it easy and if you make it about a mission that you're on, yeah. so it's not about you, it's about the transformation that you're trying to create in the people that you really want to help, that you want to be a hero to. Now they, they've got something more than, hey, Clive's going to make some more money to get behind. Yeah. You know? I really like the bit that you did at the end where you said, send it to them as a gift from you. Yes, not from me, from you. <laughs> oh, yeah. We want to make you, my client, you know, my, my networking partner. We want to make you look like a rock star to the people in your network. Okay. And all we're doing there is we're looking at what's in your best interest. Okay. You've got, if, if you're in business and you've got a business network, right? It's in your interest to give value into that network. And you're probably not doing it as well or as much as you think you should. Most yeah. business people just don't. I mean, they're not that good at it. And so if, you know, if I show up with a way for you to give value to, to people and you don't have to do any work and you're going to look like a hero and at the same time, it's going to reinforce your existing belief that, you know, that you've got in working with me, 
it, you know, now we're totally aligned. Yeah. And that makes everything easier. There's no friction there. Sure, sure. Okay, that's really powerful stuff. Two things we've covered so far. Get clear on your ideal client, really important. Second thing, simplify and systemize. What was the third thing? So the third is is, um, related to understanding who your ideal client is and getting focused. And that's to improve your offer. Most people that, you know, when we, when we come across a service business that wants to work with us and we begin looking at their business, um, the, one of the things that almost always just jumps out to us is that it's really unclear what the heck they're offering of value. And, um, and, and that's all about really two things. Number one, what is the offer itself? So what's the, what's the result that you're trying to deliver for people? And is it something that they actually want? And sometimes you're delivering that result, but um, the way that, that you're communicating it, which is the second piece of it, your message is so muddy and confusing um, or just isn't talking about the result. It's all talking about the method. There's we've got one particular client where we kind of, we tend to go round and around with this and he's very focused on all the different steps and the deliverables of his of, of what he does with clients, but they don't care about that. They just want the end result. So quit talking about all that stuff. I mean, yes, at some point in the sales process, they might want to know what, well, what are the steps involved, but more importantly, they want to know, well, if I'm going to invest this with you, what's the outcome going to be? Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, uh, if they want the detail, they'll ask, but most of all people are asked for, are, they're after a transformation and they want to know how easy is it to get how quickly will they get it? You know, what will the experience be like? They don't want to know exactly how the ins and outs work. But if they are detailed orientated, they'll ask. Absolutely. They'll ask. And, and that'll actually allow you to answer it in the way that's meaningful to them rather yeah. than a way that's meaningful to you. And this is sort of the, the, the curse of, of knowledge, right? We're all expert at what we do. And we tend to explain things based on all the knowledge we have of it, not the knowledge that a prospect would have. Most of our prospects aren't, they really aren't qualified to, to determine, um, you know, when they're looking at a, a professional, they don't know enough about your profession to determine if you're better than the next person. Sure. And so they assume that if you're in business and you have a reasonable track record that you're qualified and now it's just, do they understand what you're offering and is it in line with what they're looking for? Yeah. And, and uh, typically we try and, and confuse the heck out of them and, and uh, obfuscate everything and, and make it difficult. And so, uh, you know, by getting your offer clear, that's really the third key thing. And then the final one, this is the one that nobody likes to do uh, because it's work. But the final one is you've got to fix your follow-up. <laughs> if you've gotten close, you know, if you've gotten clear on who your ideal client is and you've created, you know, a referral process and you're getting leads referred in and you've got a great offer and you have no follow-up, you know, you're, you're leaving so much money on the table. Um, all kinds of studies have been done that basically point to the fact that, you know, out, out of every 10 leads, maybe only two or three are ready to buy right now. So if they discover you today, only two or three out of the 10 are ready to buy now. Maybe another two or three will buy at some point over the next 18 to 24 months. And then, you know, the other half, you know, or 40% probably will never buy. 
Okay. And so your job is to figure out, okay, well, who are the two or three that are going to buy now? Cause you need those. Right. But if that's all you focus on, you've wasted half of the return on your investment for generating those leads. So no matter how you generate them, you're going to invest time, energy, or money, whether you do by referral or by advertising or networking or whatever, you're going to invest some amount of time, energy, and money. And if all you're doing is taking the people who are ready to ring the cash register today, you're leaving at least half of, of uh, your opportunity on the table. And the way that you fix that is with follow-up. And the reason most people don't have any good follow-up is number one, they don't know how to do it in an efficient way. So they think, well, it's a lot of work. It's going to take too much time. And two, they don't know what to say to a prospect. They don't know how to show up and actually be relevant over the long haul. And that's, frankly, that's one of the, the great things about having a podcast. You know, you've, you've got a podcast. I've got a podcast. I'll get a secret. Secret for me for having a podcast is I get to interview interesting people. I don't have to come up with great content every week to stay in front of my audience, you know, to my leads. Somebody else is doing the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that probably is my uh, little secret as well. My dirty little secret is that, yeah, when I first started out, they were solo episodes. I thought, oh, that's okay. You know, 25 plus years in you know, training in business. So, well, I can teach something new each week. And then I just thought, isn't it easier and actually more fun for me if I've got somebody else on? <laughs> they did some of the work. But you're right. Absolutely. Tap into other talent. Absolutely. Well, and you, you get credit. Everybody thinks, well, wouldn't they then want to go and do business with my guest? And the truth is, you're the one that's showing up every week. Each yeah. guest will show up once and likely be forgotten. But you're going to show up every week or every other week or twice a week, whatever your, your schedule is. And, um, you know, and, and the other thing that I like about this particular form, or maybe go off on a little tangent here about podcasting for a second. But the other thing I like about this particular form of follow-up, other than the fact that it's really easy to do, um, is that people get to hear your voice. Yeah. They get to experience what it would be like to be in a meeting with you. They see that getting on a call with you, which is probably what you're going to need them to do or get in a meeting with you is a pretty painless thing that, you know, Hey, Clive's a pretty friendly guy. I've listened, you know, to 20 of his episodes or six, all 60 of his episodes, maybe. And, uh, he's a, he's a pretty friendly guy. He's somebody I wouldn't mind talking to. I feel comfortable doing that. So you actually do a lot to create trust and to create relationship without ever having met someone. I think that's a really key point there. It is about creating trust and relationships. Podcast is a beautiful opportunity to do that. It's not the only way to do it, but uh, certainly there's a amount of people who've, a number of people who've sort of said to me when I first met them, how they already feel like they know me because they've been like listening to my podcast and things like that. So you've got to step ahead. Now, I, I want to come back to this last point you were saying about following up after the offer. Uh, really important that we do that. Now, before we do that, tell us a little about you, Steve. How can people get hold of you if they do want to follow up with you? Well, Clive, what we've done, we've actually set up a, a page on our site just for your listeners. And when they go there, they can get, um, we've got some free stuff. So we've got uh, a free copy of my book uh, called The Exponential Network Strategy, which is, I think, perfect for uh, for, for service-based businesses, you know, if, if you've been running around doing networking and coffee dates and meeting people for lunch and networking groups and all that, not getting the results that you want, this is actually going to show you how to do it. Um, and, uh, and if you want, you can actually go cold turkey on all of that other networking. 
which is what I did in 2012. Um, and it'll show you kind of step-by-step how to do that and create referrals and, um, and really create a, 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 an easy way to follow up. Um, and so they can get a copy of the book there. We've got a guide on pre-selling your prospects so that they're ready to hire you when you meet with them. And if anybody is you know, interested and just wants to kind of learn more about what we do, they can book a call with me there. So if they go to unstoppableceo.net slash get real, unstoppableceo.net slash get real, they can find all of those resources. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. It's very generous for you to to offer that. That's unstoppableceo.net forward slash get real. What I'll do is I'll make sure that I put the link up to that. And any of the social links that you want to share with us, we'll put the link up to that on the show notes page and you'll find that at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 59. Steve, thank you so much for that. We've covered a lot so far. And I just want to come back to this last thing. As you, as you say, it's a big hurdle going back and following up afterwards. It's, it's easy when they do the work. And they, they say, oh, I'll give you a ring on Tuesday or whatever. But for some reason, quite often we are left hanging. How do we manage that? Well, I, uh, I think the, the thing to understand is that not everyone is going to move forward with you. Okay. So your job is to create lots of leads and then create a follow-up system that filters those leads so that you find the ones that are ready now. And with all the the rest of them, you stay in front of them for a long period of time, you know, essentially forever. And there's kind of two levels that you want to do that on. So there's the short-term filtering, trying to figure out, okay, is somebody ready to buy now? you know, and, and often what that looks like is they've, they've come to you, maybe they've requested information, maybe they've visited your website and, uh, you know, and downloaded something. And so you want to have some short-term follow-up in place. And where I see a lot of folks go wrong with that is that they, they try and make the full case right at that point for hiring them. You know, so you, you get this, you know, four page automated email of, you know, their complete resume you know, there all of the reasons that you should buy, you know, the buy now button and everything. And the other side of that is you'll have people that don't follow up at all, or they follow up, but only in a very generic way. What we found that works best is that when somebody takes an action that might indicate that they've got interest now, that you need to engage them in a conversation as quickly as possible. And so if that's, if they're coming from online, let's say, then you want to try and get them into an email conversation that quickly works towards a telephone conversation or a face-to-face conversation. So um, I'll give you a really quick example of how to do that. We had a a client who was in real estate. He was getting these leads from one of the major real estate websites here in the US. And he would respond back with an email that was like, you know, everything you'd ever want to know about him. And uh, and it was a long email. He was a very well-qualified real estate agent. And he was getting no response to that at all. And so we started to kind of reverse engineer, well, what are they looking for? You know, these were people that found a particular house listing online and they had clicked a button to request more information. Well, you know, in, in that scenario, the thing that someone's looking for is probably to go see the house if they've got interest in it. So instead of the four page email that we got no response, uh-huh. we simply responded with a one line email that said, would you like to see the house at whatever the address was? And that's easy for someone to respond to. The other email that he was sending out was, it was so long and complicated that no one knew how to respond to it. 
So when we made this switch where all they had to do was say yes or no to that simple little question, it got the conversation going and it dramatically increased the response rate with people who were ready to do business right away. Yeah. So this is really significant. Actually, as you were saying that, it made me think very recently, I got somebody pitched their services to me on LinkedIn and probably I'm no different to you. <laughs> Pitch services left, right and center every day. Um, and for the majority of people, I just ignore them. And, you know, thank you very much, but no thanks. Uh, but somebody uh, put a, a really simple pitch together and I said, okay, sure, I'd like to hear more. Here's a link to my calendar. Let's have a quick chat. So I was up for a conversation. Wasn't ready to buy, but was definitely up for a conversation. Could be ready to buy down the line. So he replies with a, oh, okay, it's not really my service, but actually what we've done is put together this web page. Please look at the web page and then come back to me. And here's a link and you can book in my diary. And, and I went to the web page. It was this long sales letter web page, which are fine, but that's not where I was at. I'd already said, I'll have a quick chat. And instead what he did is he just annoyed me. So, I, you know, I just, you know, ended it then. He could have had me as a client, but instead he wanted to do the full sales pitch. Well, and that, and that's the problem. We don't, sometimes we make things so complicated and this is one of the challenges with internet marketing when it's done poorly, right? Yeah. We see all of this advice out there that you've got to have a funnel and it's got to have all these steps and you got to have a long sales letter and all of that. Well, if somebody's ex expressed interest, then you really just need to find out what are they really looking for? And, and in most businesses, when you get an inbound lead, you can probably boil that down to a single simple yes or no question that you can ask them to find out, okay, do we need to move forward to the very next step or not? And the next step isn't, hey, we're going to buy. The next step probably isn't even, hey, let's have a meeting. It's, you know, in this case with this agent, it was, do you want to see the house or not? Yes. Okay. Well, then the next step after that is now we got to find a time, right? You know, and so the next question we put out was narrowed it down. Would you like to go today or tomorrow? And yeah. then, you know, and they'd respond to that. Great. I've got a few times. Why don't I, I'm going to call, you know, then, then the third thing we did with him was, Hey, I'm going to call you from this number. Cause nobody answers unless they, you know, they recognize the number. I'm going to call you from, you know, from this number, it'll be easier to arrange a time and directions over the phone than by email. Well, what did we do there? We got that, that prospect into a telephone conversation, which now creates relationship and infinitely increases the likelihood that they're going to do business with this real estate agent versus any of the others. You know, there's a million of them that, that they could have done business with, but because we took them a tiny little micro step at a time aligned with what they probably really wanted, all of it very logical and made sense, made the whole process easier for everybody. It is so funny, isn't it? When we slow things down and we focus on just selling the next little step, and it is a little step, as you a very, very little step, as you pointed out there, brilliantly done. When we focus on selling the next little step, then people will come along with us. But if we ask people to make too big of a leap, it just all falls flat. I love that. Steve, if there was going to be one thing that people were going to take away, like an actionable thing that people take away and get started on, today as a result of what you've shared today, what would that be? So I, I think um, for most people, for most people, the, the number one thing that you can do is get clear on your ideal client. Because if you get that done, everything else in the business becomes easier. 
everything. And the best way to do that, I mean, people get all tied up in knots and they go looking online for all these worksheets that help them create avatars and all that. You don't have to do all that. I want you to look at your current client list. I want you to pick no more than five clients, you know, and if, if you only picked three, that'd be fine, but no more than five clients that you would describe as ideal. And we look at it in, you know, with just a few simple criteria. Number one, are they profitable? Number two, do we like working with them? Because, you know, business is better if we're profitable and we like working with the people that we're working with, right? And then do they get a really great result from what you do? If you can put those three things together, I think you've got it. And then, you know, if if you add in, um, you know, into that, do they really value what you do? Oh, like that too. Like that too. Okay, so there's the four things there. One is, are they profitable? The second thing is, do you enjoy working with them? Do you like them? Uh, the third thing is, can you get them a good result? Do do they get a good result with you? Uh, that's that's a really good one. And the fourth one, do they value and appreciate what you do? Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to get started on that. Steve, I want to thank you so much for everything you shared today. It's um, absolutely awesome. Tiny little masterclass there. Well, I hope that anybody who's been listening here today, you're going to take something away from this. Uh, but yeah, this would be a really good place to start. Go back to your ideal client, get so clear about that. And remember, you don't have to commit for the rest of your life. Just commit for a period of time, maybe the next like year or two, to really focus on that. And if you decide things change, then things change. That's not a problem. Uh, so I want to thank you again, Steve, for being here and everything that you shared. And thank my listeners, because without you, this wouldn't be possible. That's you know, you're one of the reasons why we do this. We're going to be back next episode with more tips, tricks, and, and strategies for you to grow your business. So thanks again to my friend, Steve, for coming on the show today. And we'll see you next time. In the meantime, here's to you and your highly successful business.